Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Knock Knock High with the Glockenfleckens. I am Will Flannery, also known as Dr. Glockenflecken. I am Kristen Flannery, also known as Lady Glockenflecken, and I apologize on Will's behalf for anyone's eardrums that have been oh. bursted oh, in this yeah. introduction. I, I'm, I'm fired up. Yeah, because we have a topic today, and if this doesn't get you fired up, nothing will. You know, you might want to check your pulse. Well, that, but also uh, my afternoon got canceled because of weather. Oh, yeah. So that's good. I get to watch a football game this afternoon. Oh, so you're excited. Good. I'm glad to know you'll be home. I've got some things that need done. Uh, but we do have a topic that'll get your juices flowing here. Sure do. Uh, we're talking about healthcare. Talking the about healthcare system. The healthcare system with U.S. Senate candidate and uh, and U.S. Congresswoman Katie Porter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. Uh, uh, the the whiteboard extraordinaire. That's right. That's that what she kind of has she, gone viral on social media aids for, visual well. aids, mm-hmm. uh, just a natural educator. Yes, spells complicated things out very simply and clearly and makes it easy really to understand. Impressive. But, uh, you know, we've been we've been on the healthcare reform, you know, what do you call it? The, the healthcare reform bandwagon bandwagon. <laughs> Is it a bandwagon? <laughs> I think it's a bandwagon for quite some time. You guys, yes. if you've seen my video, like, you know, I love talking about the healthcare system. Are you, does this topic interest you though? I'm I'm just like, because you're kind of, you come to it from a different lens, from a different uh, viewpoint, um, I guess, because you've been through medical, my all the medical stuff that I've gone through. Have you picked up on a lot of this stuff along the way? Well, yes, I have, you know, just sort of from being around it, but, but I've also been a patient, right? Like, mm-hmm. And not, I don't just mean like wellness visits and stuff. I mean, like I have this weird chronic thing that nobody understands. I have had a neck surgery in my early thirties. Like that's weird. Yeah, you got to right? interact with a neurosurgeon. I did. Yes. I really did. A real one in real life. <laughs> An actual one. An attending, no less. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I've seen everything that you've gone through. I've seen everything our, our children have gone through, right? And I've been the healthcare decision maker for them. Um, I think this is just something that affects everybody. And I think it's made overly complicated and it's, you know, there's all these big words and things, you know, to your point of have I picked things up. Um, I think there are more of those than there need to be, but I think that's why it's so good to have people like Katie Porter, like yourself, 
who are kind of breaking it down and, um, you know, trying to make it easier for everyone to understand. And recently, this is going to sound like a plug, I guess it's maybe a shameless plug, but, um, you know, we have a blog and a newsletter now where we're, we're trying to take uh, the progress that you've made and expand on that and the ideas that you share in 30 Days of Healthcare and expand on that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think this is really something that's important for everyone, whether they are in healthcare, not in healthcare, because we all have to interact with the healthcare system. And it's a big mess. It's a mess. And that's it. And so that's why we have Katie Porter here to uh, to to try to sort through this mess. And one thing, one reason which we get into in the episode that 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 we were so excited to talk with her is because she is not beholden to any corporation. Yes. Right. She doesn't she doesn't take lobbying money uh, and which allows her really just to speak freely, speak her mind, mm -hmm. uh, really try to fight for for positive change in the healthcare system. So yeah, we and get to into actually all that. represent her constituents. Can um, you imagine? Imagine that. What That's a amazing. novel idea! So, so it was a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, should we get to it? Let's go. All right, here we go. Here is Senate candidate Katie Porter. Today's episode is brought to you by the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience, or DAX for short. This AI-powered ambient technology helps physicians be more efficient and reduce clinical documentation burden. To learn more about how DAX Copilot can help reduce burnout and restore the joy of practicing medicine, stick around after the episode or visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X. All right, we are here with Congresswoman Katie Porter. Thank you so much for joining us, Katie. It's really an honor to talk with uh, talk with you today. Talk with us. No, no. Talk to you. <laughs> it's an honor to talk to you today. It's a delight to talk with you too. Um, so uh, we appreciate you taking the time, and you you may not know this, but we actually we have an Iowa connection here. Yeah, I do. It's a you, Kristen, you very... used to work at the University of Iowa, is that right? Yes, I was going to say it's a very obscure one. Usually they would know that he would, did residency at Iowa. Uh -huh. uh, but yes, I worked at the Bell and Blank Center for Gifted Education at the University of Iowa. And Wait, you... You know my history with the Bell and Blank Center. I sure do. I yeah. was about to say you were a participant in one of our programs before I got there, but uh, when you were growing up in Iowa. so Yeah, I think I was in yeah. the first year... Um, that the so. Bell and Blank Center. It's a, for those of you who are listening and don't know what that is, it is a um, <laughs> basically like nerd camp. Um, yeah. And so um, for super smart kids, and I grew up in a very rural part of Iowa where there was not a lot of like, well, a lot, like none, um, no enrichment education for gifted kids. And so I came and spent my summer of eighth grade, following eighth grade at the University of Iowa campus back in the day. And then my sister and brother-in-law also did, they went to medical school at the University of Iowa. Mm, um, and, and then they did, their, they did their fellowships elsewhere, but they did their, um, and their residencies, but they did their medical education there. So they're, they're big yeah. on nerd camps at the university of Iowa. Yeah, they yeah, really are. Good. I mean, I am also very big on nerd camp and anything sort of like that. So that was, that was a fun connection to find. And it's no surprise. It was a, I think it was a leadership class or a program, the Iowa governor's Institute. Yeah. So, um, so, so all your success you attribute to the right. Bell and Blank Center. That's, that's, that's right. That's right. right. But then I actually taught at the university of Iowa as well. Um, oh, wow. so I can't, well, what year were you there doing your residency? Uh, 2014 to 2017. I think yeah, we missed so each I would, other. I would have I think... missed you because you're so much yeah. younger. Thank you for pointing yeah. that out. <laughs> 
I, hey, I didn't say it. All right. We just <laughs> yeah, missed each asked. other. Missed connection. <laughs> that's all it is. Um, so, so Katie, I'd love to, I'd love to start here, um, with just a really easy question. Uh, how do we fix healthcare? That, is, we, that, that, is that yeah. easy enough? Is that that's <laughs> yeah. an easy, that's simple, straightforward kind of question, right? Can yeah. we can we do that? Can we get that accomplished in the next half hour? Do you think? Well, so we think? can. The answer to how to fix it, I think, I can get accomplished <laughs> in about thirty seconds. Getting it done, I I sometimes despair we we ever will um, in this country. So, I mean, I think there are two healthcare issues. I'm just going to frame up how to fix it. One is we think about healthcare wrong in this country. We think primarily about sickness and how to um, fix people who are already sick instead of fixing, instead of focusing on health and wellness. So instead of talking about health care, what Congress really does is make policy about sick care, not about health care. And I think that affects all different kinds of, of ways that we um, invest and don't invest um, in health care. And then I think the other thing is, look, you are not going to have the kind of health care system that delivers healthy people and focuses on that when you have a profit-driven system. It's just right. inconsistent. Um, I have a background in consumer protection, and it turns out, for instance, that cheating people is really, really profitable. That's why companies do it, right? Customers yeah. who don't pay their bills are more profitable for banks and run up interest rates and pay their credit card minimums rather than pay it off are more profitable for banks. It's the same thing for healthcare. Um, Sick people up to a certain point and certain kinds of sick people are actually incredibly profitable for many parts of the healthcare system. And, and on the, on the medical delivery side, you know, as a physician, you know, we, we are very much focused on, on preventive care where a lot of what we try to do uh, is, is to try to keep people healthy. And so we're just from a fundamental standpoint, we're at odds, right. With, with the, some of these, these big corporations that were, for basically are running healthcare, it feels like at least. No, and I, know, I think I think one of the yeah. things that's really changed in the last and I don't know if you have thoughts on this from from your experience, but I I think there's been a break. There's really starting to be a fissure between doctors um who originally, you know, really were kind of the 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 entities, doctors that kind of formed health insurance companies back in the yeah. day and where we are today, which is I think increasingly Providers, doctors, nurses, and others are some of the most powerful critics of health insurance and of big pharma. And so I really think it's an important voice that, that you have, that this podcast has, um, that you know, Kristen has as a patient advocate. Like, this is a really important perspective. So increasingly, I have doctors who are side by side with me pushing for things like Medicare for all, pushing for things like um, rethinking um, treatment and reimbursement in ways that do give time for doctors, for instance, to focus on preventative care. But as you know, we have a very yeah. kind of procedure-driven reimbursement system that does not really reward doctors who went into this to help people be healthy for their time spent doing exactly that. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's it we we devalue primary care in particular, and it's that's uh, it's just one of the many problems that that we're dealing with now. And and I I do think I don't know what the what the change was. Maybe it's just a um, just gradual over time. I, I don't think we can put one thing on it that that caused because you're right. The physicians are like we did help build this system. Like that's there's absolutely. But I, I totally agree with you. It does seem like there's been a change. And, and I guess 
I'm not sure like what caused that change, but it is, I do feel it happening. Citizens <laughs> uh, United. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things is, you know, I think when doctors um, went to um, insurance companies and kind of formed things like the early Blue Cross Blue Shield, these cooperative ideas, um, they were really well-intentioned, but I think what doctors are now living with, and when I say doctors, I really mean healthcare providers broadly, right. because I think right. you know, nurse practitioners and nurses and phlebotomists, I think there's a whole ecosystem of people who make us, who deliver Definitely. care, who feel this. I think what they're now figuring out is that Wall Street isn't on anyone's side but its own. And if yeah. they can squeeze a dollar out of a patient, great. If they can squeeze a dollar out of a provider, that's great too. And I think right. providers are now living with this. We're seeing this with private equity gobbling up, um, you know, healthcare. And so um, I, I think that providers have kind of come around to experience a lot of the same pain and frustration that patients have been. And one of the things I wanted to talk with you about is, is in particular, is, is this consolidation that's happening across healthcare because uh, the lack of competition is, is worrisome. And it's it's getting worse. Um, I just read about United Healthcare and they're, they're, they're the amount uh, or United Health Group, I should say, which is the overarching company that owns all these subsidiaries of United Healthcare. The amount of internal revenue from their own revenue sources is is up like twenty five percent over the last year, and so that just shows you just how much consolidation, how much the vertical integration there is, and I think it's making so many things worse. And so. What for people, uh, a lot of my listeners you know, are starting to feel, especially people in healthcare, are starting to feel kind of hopeless about about this uh, because you have these behemoth, this behemoth, Optum, United Healthcare, and, and other ones, Cigna. They're all doing this. What what is what are we doing, or what can we do to to fight against this? And what's happening in government? Are people looking at this? I, I mean, I know you are, and but do you have others that are that are focused on this issue? Yeah, I mean, I would say that generally, President Biden's administration, one of the really terrific things that I don't feel like it's talked about really ever, much less enough, is one of the things President Biden's administration has really done is focus on competition policy. In other words, cracking down on monopolies, challenging that the idea that every merger is somehow for the good or for the better. And so, you know, it's really hard to think of an industry today that doesn't have a monopoly problem, right? We have monopoly problems with publishing. We have monopoly problems with travel. We have we have a bread monopoly in this country, for crying out loud. And so something like 40% of all bread that we eat is all manufactured by one company. And really? so in some ways... No yeah. in some a bread ways, monopoly in the U.S.? Yeah. And so in some ways, I think it would be surprising if we didn't have monopoly power yeah. and a lack of competition in healthcare. To date, I haven't seen the Biden administration kind of turn its competition policy focus to healthcare particularly, but they are kind of cracking down on a lot of these industries and trying to think about what to do. But I think one of the things, um, you know, I'm old enough, I'm 50, I just turned 50, and I can remember as a kid, Boy, if you could get like back in the day, Blue Cross, then you just knew everything would be okay. Mm -hmm. And today, the truth is, there's only three or four health insurance companies, and they all suck. And yeah, yeah. you know, there's there's probably an equivalent. It's kind of like airlines. There's only three or four of them, and mostly your experience getting to and from sucks. 
And of course, there's like a, you know, a bottom dweller, like a spirit. There are a couple of those kinds of healthcare insurance companies. But in general, I would say the problem is systematic. So I do think competition would help. But the other problem in healthcare is people don't get to make choices. We don't have a market for healthcare. So you asked me, are we ever going to fix this? I think one of the, the things we have to recognize is we can't keep relying on market forces like consumer choice, like patient choice to fix something when in fact patients don't have choices. We have no choice. Yeah. Right. We don't know and how much things cost. We get, don't know what our alternative alternative options are. And you get a job and, and you basically have to go with whatever your job offers. Yeah. Right. So yep. yeah, you're absolutely right. One of the things that does make me feel a little bit hopeful, at least, and I hope you're not about to burst my bubble, but uh, <laughs> it's okay if you do, uh, but is that you have, you know, taken this historically um, very Republican county and you've been, you know, elected with Medicare for all as a major part of your platform. And those two things, you know, are kind of historically speaking anyway, at odds with each other. So can you talk a little bit about how how you've done that and is there anything that kind of the general public or or healthcare workers can take from your approach there to try to make these changes in healthcare absolutely i mean look medicare for all is would deliver the best quality care at the lowest price point with the most patient choice wow it's a winner all the way around and we see this i mean we know that when people get medicare that cancer diagnoses jump it's not because all of a sudden people are getting cancer. They're actually getting screening that is detecting that cancer. There is no insurance company in the United States that provides the depth of network choice that Medicare provides. That's a, that's a battle we have to keep fighting to make sure providers continue to take Medicare. Um, but the reality is we should all want the healthcare system that gives us the most choices and the best quality care at the, at the least cost. Um, and so I, I think that's why Medicare for All makes sense. It's, it's, it's not a lefty McLefty kind of argument. It's actually just common sense. It's actually the fiscally responsible thing to do. And so I think that is an important thing to start with and to explain to people right up front. You know, private, for every $100 we spend with a private health insurance company, $17 go to administrative costs. With Medicare, that's about two, two to three dollars. That's a lot of money multiplied. Take that hundred dollars that I used as the example and multiply it times all of the money we're spending. So in one hearing, I actually had 17 ones and kind of counted them out so that people could see and then held up those bills versus you know the three dollars we spend administratively on Medicare. And it's everything from not advertising and sponsoring stadiums to, um, you know, not having all the complexities of billing and denying care and, and the things that we go through with private insurance. I, I do. I like the idea of, of Medicare for all, because, you know, you look at all the, you know, the richest countries in the world, and we're the only ones that really, you know, leave people behind like this that don't have a, a public option um, for it, for everyone. The, but these, this doesn't happen in a vacuum, right? And, and my, one of my concerns about something like Medicare for all and like making a switch like that, just like that, is is the healthcare worker shortage that we have. And we're talking about all of a sudden doing a great thing, which is making sure everybody like we lift the floor, right? We have everybody has access to affordable health care. 
how are we going to take care of all these people? Like that, that's one thing that I, that I think about and, and because we've struggled, we're struggling with that. People are leaving healthcare, doctors, nurses are leaving healthcare. And so we have to, we have to figure that piece out as well. Like, okay, what are we going to do? Aren't you going to be taking care of them on one end or the other? You take care of them on the front end or you take care of them on the back end, but you're going to be taking care of them. And it's going to be worse if you wait till the back end. That's why you married up. Well, (laughs) because that's exactly what I was going to say. So look, at some point people get care. It's just where. Do they come Mm -hmm. in with untreated diabetes to an ER and we're having to amputate and then try to provide disability services? Or are they getting care on the front end Mm -hmm. that is helping them prevent um, or treat or manage that? So, you know, I think the other thing is who's really getting squeezed is we have a lot of people who are on Medicaid already as well as Medicare. And so when you add up the low income Medicaid people and the Medicare, the seniors, and then you add on the veterans and you add on the who are in the VA system and you add on the TRICARE for the active duty service members, we already have a lot, more than half, I believe, of our population in some form of government health care. But even that duplicity of having those or systems is a lot. I would say with regard to healthcare workers, look, they are in crisis. Um, my sister and brother-in-law um, are both physicians. I hear about this from them. I hear about it from doctors when I go in um, because I can't just go, you know, get screened. I also have to hear about their healthcare frustration policies. Um, <laughs> right. So it's really an incentive for me to go to go get um, healthcare. But you know, one of the things they're frustrated about is insurance companies, is the amount of yeah. time that they spend mm-hmm. fighting. They ask people to make follow-up appointments and the people don't show up. And when asked why, it's like, well, I was on hold for 45 minutes trying to schedule that. And then I just hung up, right? And mm-hmm. so I do think that, you know, we have to rethink how we fund medical education, whether having the kinds of debt that we've been putting on healthcare providers really serves us well. I think it does not. Um, But, you know, I would say that I think if we move to a Medicare for all system, we would face, I think, some shortages in, in, in primary care and in some of the areas where we need to be treating people earlier. Um, And I think, but we would see some of these kind of specialties that kind of feed on unhealthy people, hopefully over time decline. So yeah, we definitely need to, I'm so glad you you mentioned kind of reform of the medical education system, because it it does need to be a a sea change in, in, in how that's funded and and the cost of medical education in particular. Um, But yeah, like we need to uh, just primary care is in such a crisis already. And, and I don't, I don't know what it's going to take to, to change that. It's going to be, I, I find it, maybe I'm just skeptical or, or maybe I'm just uh, too pessimistic, but the idea of, of having like a sudden change, like how do we get to this point? How do we get there? Is it going to be incremental change uh, or, you know, how, how do we go about this? So look, the biggest barrier to addressing the profit-based healthcare system and how it kind of um, malforms our healthcare system is big money in politics. Um, so the answer that Kristen gave earlier that. I was gonna ask about, about, that. <laughs> about Citizens United, I mean, look, yeah. we are, Washington runs on lobbyist dollars. I don't take lobbyist money. So I, I meet with lobbyists when they have information to give me, but you can't, I, I'm not for sale. Um, it runs on corporate donations. I don't take corporate PAC money and I never have. So 
I think that, you know, what we are seeing is time and time again, Washington making policy decisions based on who's buying and paying for them, not on what sound policy. So I think, you know, we just saw for this first time um, with this the, with this bill allowing Medicare, for instance, to negotiate drug prices. You know, my bill was signed in law um, that would um, recoup, kind of get back taxpayer dollars when big pharma raises the price of medicine faster than inflation. These are already developed medications. Right. Um, and so this is one of the first time that we've seen Washington stand up to big pharma, like in my entire lifetime. And so I I do think there are that those of us who don't take corporate PAC money and are asking hard questions that often haven't been asked are starting to shake things up. So I'll just give you one example that for me was a really sort of important moment for kind of inspiring me to stay in this fight, even though it's hard, is I the director of the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, CMS. I mean, these people have great, great names, CMS. And I asked her, what evidence is there that Medicare Advantage, which kind of takes Medicare and layers private insurance into the, into the stew, rather than traditional Medicare, which is just you go to the doctor, the government reimburses you, right? So no private health insurance. Medicare Advantage is private health insurance layer. I said, what evidence is there that this makes seniors either healthier or cost less? It doesn't even have to do both. It's just, does it do either of these things? Right. <laughs> and you know what she said? There is no evidence. And I yeah. said, well, why are we expanding a program that doesn't make people healthier, give better outcomes to seniors, and doesn't cost taxpayers less? And the answer is, of course, that big health insurance companies make a fortune off taxpayers. United Healthcare, you mentioned them earlier. Three in four dollars they make are taxpayer dollars. So one of the things I would love is That's to depressing. have taxpayers for, forget advocating as patients, which is really important. Yeah. But it's hard to advocate as a patient because you know why? You're sick, definitionally, or you're scared, right. or you're in crisis. You're fighting for your life. And your stakes are enormous. Yeah, right. And so we need to all, as taxpayers, really be saying. Who's make? Are we really? Are we really getting what we're paying for here? Um, and so I call it instead of calling it Medicare Advantage, I call it Medicare Disadvantage, um, because the truth is it doesn't provide better outcomes, it, and it costs more. And so we should just stop doing it. And why we're not stopping doing it has everything to do with how most of my colleagues have funded their political career. And it's a big difference between me and them. And I think I do ask questions differently, and I do push on things differently because of that. I'm so glad you do, too, because like the cynic in me feels like, well, everybody's just bought and paid for these days. So I don't know. What can we even do? This is proof that there's some people that are not bought. Yeah, exactly. I need I I need that every once in a while to, you know, keep some modicum of faith in the system anyway. Yeah, no, I mean, look, like there are my class. I was elected in 2018, sort of in the wake of, of Trump's election in 2016. And a lot of the members of my class didn't take corporate money. We didn't run our campaigns on it. And we, we haven't gone back. Um, that said, there's a, an entire industry of kind of uh, K Street lobbyists whose full-time job it is to convince you that if you do not take their corporate dollars and you do not do it, you know, sort of Wall Street wants, you will not get reelected. And that's a bunch of nonsense. And I think my I've had really tough campaigns in Orange County. And I've shown that actually... What Americans want 
is people who fight for what's right, who fight for them, um, and that they will respond. They will make grassroots donations, and you're able to to fund your campaign and to win tough races. Yeah. We it talk- all sounds like the mafia. It sounds like the mafia is running this country. <laughs> yeah. Like I imagine like briefcases full of cash just coming into <laughs> Congress people's offices and, and it's so much more subtle than that. Um, yeah. And I, I think that's one of the hard things is I talk a lot about corruption and I think people have this, you know, we do have that too, right? Like we had Senator Menendez with these gold bars sewn in his suit, which is like kind of the, the, the mafia corruption vibe. But um, right. it's a little it's, on it's the a, nose. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot more subtle than that. I think it is. Um, one of the things is who are you listening to? So organize, you know, um, insurance companies have lobbyists. They come, they meet with your staff, they knock on your door. And I think you really have to work actively to counter that. So where are you getting your information about what the healthcare system needs? Who are you listening to? And so I really try as much as I can within the boundaries of my job to look at some of the good health policy research that's coming out. So um, I don't know if you have covered this in your show yet, but you know, the study that came out right around, you know, Christmas, which is really when they get everyone's attention when you have a big, you know, um, showed that if you go to a hospital owned by private equity, Uh you have double the rate of coming out with an infection. I've talked about that, that study. That was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it was actually it wasn't unbelievable. It, yeah, it's, it's perfectly, perfectly believable, logical based but I'm, on I'm, how that model works. But it's that I'm so glad that study came out. I have talked about that, and 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 basically, I forgot what the percentage was, but it was statistically significant that the number of of adverse events that happen in the hospital was higher in these private equity owned. Yeah, because yeah. the you know they're just making all these cuts, and so a lot of checks that are normally there get. Because because yeah. what they what they want to focus on, what these private equity owned hospitals want to focus on is mortality. They want everybody focused on mortality because they can show that they have less mortality. Well, why do yeah. they have less mortality? Because they don't admit sick patients. Right. Yeah. They skew younger. <laughs> they want people that are not going to die in their hospital so they can say, look, we are safe. We are. So that's why I'm so glad that study came out, the people that did that, to look at what's happening in the hospital. Because that's yep. that's really an indicative of the quality of care that you're getting. Well, and, and as you know, I mean, if you get a hospital-inquired affection or say, I think they found that you had a 30% or 31% higher likelihood of getting an infection in your central line if you needed yep. one, then what happens to you? Broad spectrum antibiotics to the tunes of thousands of dollars, longer hospital stays, all of that is is expensive. And ultimately, what I really want to emphasize to people is who pays? We all pay. We all pay. Three out of four dollars, right? Three three out out of four four dollars, right? So because of you know, those people going into those hospitals have have Medicaid, they have they have um, Medicare, they so we all pay. And so I think and by the way, that doesn't exactly cause people to have a positive association with going to get care when what they do while they're there is get sick. Now infections can happen, but it's very, very clear that this is driven by staffing decisions. And I, I think about how it would feel to be you know, a nurse, to be a doctor and to, to think to yourself, my gosh, everyone here is getting so sick, right? The rate of infection so high. And so um, now the question is having that study, what's Congress going to do about it? And the answer yeah. should clearly be cracking down on the role of private equity in healthcare because they are, they may not be killing us to your right. point about mortality, but they are making us sicker even as we go 
ostensibly to get health care. Absolutely. And they're making healthcare workers more miserable. Like it's, it's it, morale is, is, yeah, they're is causing, the they're contributing to the shortage because and, nobody and wants to work that way. It, it's, it's, and it's so interesting from, from a physician, from a healthcare worker standpoint, um, because, you, you know, trying to get most of the, the physicians out there to like take a stand against private equity, it, it's been, it's been a little bit harder than you'd think, right? Because going back to, you know, uh, you know, physicians being part of setting up health insurance companies and basically forming the healthcare system we have way back in the day. I, I feel kind of a similar thing with private equity because you do have a lot of physicians that are that are reaping enormous benefits from selling their practices to private equity. And so it's this 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 t- kind of towing this line of, okay, well, you know, do I how much does it take for me to look the other way and and realize now that okay this is making healthcare worse while also but also you know benefiting financially from it so i think one of the challenges that i do hear from a lot of physicians that who have had smaller practices or practice groups maybe three or four doctors you know like when i grew up my pediatrician had one doctor it was him dr alberts um that was, it right. was a very famous pediatrician in in iowa um and it was just him. Those are disappearing. But but part of the reason they're disappearing is health insurance companies, um, because all of the billing and the complexities and having to figure out which plans you take and don't take. So, look, you know, private insurers spend about $200 billion a year more on administrative costs than traditional um, than traditional Medicare. And, and so when we think about Medicare for all, you're thinking about saving all of that money in the switch. And so I think I would like to have more patient choice. I would like to have um, more doctors that I could go and see. And I think we're not going to get there if we don't make it administratively possible for physicians to have practices on their own in small groups. Um, The economy of scale in medicine, the bigger and bigger and bigger and the chains, all of that really serves to strengthen the hand of a handful of big corporations at the expense of giving both providers and patients choices. So now I know that there's Congress is starting to look a little bit more closely. We've already touched on that on like big pharma and insurance companies is, is I haven't heard much about private equity though. Is that, um, is, is that a focus? Yeah, I would say there's a group of us um, who can, you know, surprise, surprise, don't take corporate PAC money. Um, with the Imagine that. It's some of the <laughs> same folks, by the way, who are focused on uh, Medicare Advantage and what's wrong with it, why it's not actually an advantage. Okay. Um, it's some overlap there. So, I look, I do think I can concretely show you that the number and sort of who's leading on these issues. There are people who do take corporate money who are good on these issues, but the the kind of energy around it is coming from people who don't take money. I would say, actually, I do think that Congress is very focused on pharma and big pharma. And you know, we have this yeah. thing now, like it's like big oil and big pharma. I've been talking a lot about big insurance. And I think that needs to become much more of a thing. I think insurance companies sold themselves in the in the 90s and early 2000s and the run-up to the Affordable Care Act as kind of the good guys, um, that all we needed was insurance and then mm-hmm. everything would be okay. And the truth is, in- insurance doesn't work if the out-of-pocket maximum is completely ridiculous. It doesn't work, you know, if you don't have the savings 
to be able to go and meet your deductible, then that deductible might as well be $10 million instead of 5,000. And so I, I do think that there needs to be more of a critique of big insurance companies and whether, yeah. whether Congress is focusing too much on trying to give everyone insurance without being willing to really look underneath that and say, well, we really have to be delivering is, is healthy workers, a healthy workforce, healthy families, healthy kids, dignity and aging. Like that's the policy goal. Insurance is one, having more insured people is one tool to get people there, but it's not the goal in and of itself. And I think that insurance has kind of sold too many people in Congress, too many career politicians who've been there 20, 30 years are on the, well, like if you have insurance, it's okay. Whereas what I have seen in my lifetime is I can have insurance. It doesn't mean I'm going to be able to get care. Yeah. It right. doesn't mean I'm going to be able to find a provider. You know, my sister had melanoma. And so I'm supposed to get my skin checked like every six months or every year. It's like once every five years. And the reason is not that I mind having someone just look at my skin. It's because it's so annoying. You wait, you know, <laughs> yeah, six, so I, right. I said to my dermatologist the other day, well, like, she said, we have no appointments for six months. I said, okay. Can we can we look past six months? And she said, no, the system only lets us look six months out. Oh, my goodness. So what am I supposed to do? Like get a flashlight and just be like, mm, what looks cancerous yeah, to me? That's right. So I, I think all of those things are, you know, they're really discouraging to providers who then have someone come in and they have to deliver bad news. Um, and so I, I really do think we have to ask our elected officials and I would encourage people who, you know, who listen to this to, to talk with their elected officials not what are you doing about costs? What are you doing about insurance? How, what are you doing in Congress to make us healthy, to keep us healthy? And so I'm really taken with, and this is a suggestion of a future guest for you if you're interested, is I'm a big fan of Senator Cory Booker's work on the farm bill and looking at how Congress um, affects to people's nutrition through what we subsidize, what kind of food we subsidize. So he has this whole really wonderful kind of vision of if you want to have healthy people, you need to make healthy food affordable. And so like right. stop subsidizing sugar, right? Um, mm -hmm. Start thinking about, you know, are you giving people enough um, food assistance that they can use on fruits and vegetables? And so I've actually done some things where I've gone into the grocery store and shown like, what you can get for fruits and vegetables. And so like, yeah. I don't need, you know, people who are struggling and don't have enough money, like you can tell them over and over again, how great the antioxidants are in pomegranate juice or blueberries or the omega in salmon, they can't afford healthy right. food. And so then we right. turn around and we have to have the conversations with them about obesity and type two diabetes and other things. And so He's he's got a really good vision of kind of food policy as health policy that I think goes back to this sort of rewriting the Washington narrative. It's not about how many dollars can we funnel to insurance companies and Wall Street healthcare. It's about can we make people healthier? Oh, yeah. it's a big job. <laughs> it's, it sounds. Can you explain all of this on a whiteboard to me, please? <laughs> I was going to say it, it doesn't surprise me that you said that you had a teaching background because that was the first thing, you know, when I, I saw your visual aids, you know, when you first started using them, I was like, that lady's been a teacher. I bet you anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I tell you, it, it spoke also to the medical crowd, too, because we, we get a lot they of whiteboard. whiteboard. Presenta we love a good whiteboard presentation. <laughs> oh, man, I'm sure you've heard that feedback as well. My uh, one question I have for you is, are the whiteboards getting bigger? 
Because I Ooh. swear, I just recently saw a screenshot of you. It, it's it's like the the the, the, the I don't know. It, it's it's like four feet by five yeah, feet. Yeah. It's like enormous. <laughs> From whiteboard earrings. Oh my goodness! Really, really, they're really great. You're leaning um, I into have it. I love little it. Whiteboard earrings, and I have everything to my in my district office. Um, my staff got so frustrated with me being like, "This whiteboard's too big. This whiteboard's too small." They would try to like. You know, they'd buy one and then they'd be like, oh, no, we just painted the wall. My district director just went to Lowe's and like got the whiteboard paint and we just yeah. painted the entire wall whiteboard. So now <laughs> it really, you know, because Perfect. sometimes when I'm explaining a really, really big bill, it takes a lot of whiteboard real estate um, right. to get that done. But, I, you know, I think in, in Congress, um, one of the things that, you know, I often think about is, I think there's an effort to sometimes obfuscate these issues because we yeah. people don't want Americans to ask the questions. So they say, well, you know, it's really complicated. Uh, most of this is not that complicated. Like if you have health, a health industry that profits from sickness rather than wellness, you will end up with this kind of system. Right. There it is. Well, and I, so I have one question I want to ask before we have to wrap, but that's just, we, you know, you hear all the time and we've even asked it to you today of, you know, what, basically what the question is, is, well, what can you do? What can you and your colleagues do about all of this? But what can, or what can we as citizens do? We've asked that too, but what can we as whatever we are, right? You this category of people, well, I, I guess maybe, you know, sure, you and me, but also kind of healthcare influencers, or I don't like that term, but, you know, people with, people a, platform. with a platform. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What can we do to help, you know, solve this problem as well? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important that we're empowering everyday people to ask questions, not just about their own health. Like, does this medicine have any side effects? These are important questions, but also to ask questions about healthcare policy. So one of the suggestions I, you know, I had was ask your elected officials what are you doing to make people healthy? What right? What is the policy that you're focusing on to to make people healthy? I think that people should ask their um, their elected officials if they take money from corporate PACs, if they take money um, from uh, pharmaceuticals. I think they should ask whether they're meeting with just insurance companies, just hospital chains. Are you meeting with any solo practitioner physicians? Are you meeting with, with nurses unions? Are you like you, you need to, or patient advocacy groups. I think elected officials need to be hearing from all of those people. And so I would really encourage people to engage their elected officials even more on healthcare. Um, and I, I think the kind of like, you know, um, don't destroy the affordable care act. That was an important moment, but in the wake mm -hmm. of that, we really need to be looking at, at what still needs to be done. And the answer is a lot. What are you doing to improve health? Like uh, that's right. To make us healthier, yeah, to make us healthier. Absolutely. And, and can that make a difference up against all this lobby money? Oh, absolutely. It can. Um, because a lot of what Washington suffers from, I mean, yes, there's this sort of bought and paid for phenomenon that we've talked about, but it's also a lack sometimes of ideas and imagination so I sometimes say only half joking that Congress's motto is something like solving yesterday's problems tomorrow, maybe. And so it's, you know, really looking forward. So like one of the things I'm focused on is we have a huge group of people who are going to be aging into Medicare who have had access to mental health care in a way that maybe a generation or two before didn't. 
Medicare does not have nearly enough psychiatrists um, and therapists, and we're, we're not set up for that. So let's get ahead of it, right? Let's think about it. And so I think kind of challenging the status quo is one of the most important things that people can do is, you know, everybody should ask their elected official if Medicare spends so much less than insurance on administrative costs, why aren't we in favor of that? Yeah. And yeah. The, the people will have answers, but it's, it's an okay to question. It's a question we all should be asking. How do we reduce administrative costs and increase care outcomes? Absolutely. It's going to you know, result in important discussions. And it seems people, like it just makes people. sense to everybody, yeah. no matter what side of the aisle you're on. That's just good common sense. No, it should be. <laughs> it should be. But I will tell you, like, you know, that's not how it feels a lot of the time. Um, right. A lot of the time there. So, but I think one of the things you guys do is really get facts out. So, you know, the discussion we just had about infection rates in hospitals, that study, um, yep. you know, the, the, the story I told about how Medicare Advantage doesn't make us healthier, then right. why are we doing it? So, I, I, you know, if, if private equity hospitals don't deliver as good of outcomes, let's stop. Let's have less of those. Let's have less of those, right? <laughs> exactly. So I, I think that data part of it is really important yeah. to then driving the policy discussion. And I think you guys are in a perfect position to um, to help elevate some of those, those studies and some of that research and, and to help people figure out how does it translate into policy. Well, we will try to do our part, but right. uh, and but thank you so much for for being such an advocate for for just everybody getting healthcare, getting affordable healthcare. We need more people like you, so thank you for that. And before we go, you're you're running for Senate. Yes, in California, um, California has been a state that has driven a lot of healthcare innovation, um, and also has some of the biggest healthcare inequities and challenges. And so, um, it's an exciting race to be able to talk about what to do about healthcare, um, and you know, to kind of. I'm the only candidate elected official in my race who doesn't take corporate money, who doesn't take lobbyist money. And so I think to the extent people say, you know, she's a little different, she sounds different, she focuses on different things, there's an explanation for that. And so I, yeah. it's an exciting race and um, the primary is coming up very quickly. I think we have 50 days um, to go. And so March 5th, um, Californians need to vote. March 5th, get out and vote. Yes, well, definitely. Because we need, we need people like you in Congress. We need people... Yes pointing these things out and calling it like it is. Absolutely. Well, Congresswoman uh, Katie Porter, thank you so much for joining us. It really was an honor to have you talk with us today. Awesome. Thank you so much. Kristen, are you familiar with AI? Yes. I have not been living under a rock. There are AI tools for everything now. That's right. Well, guess what? We have Precision. This is the first ever EHR integrated infectious disease AI platform. This is super cool. For uh, any specific patient, it automatically highlights better antibiotic regimens. It empowers clinicians to save more lives while reducing burnout. It just makes their life easier. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And also antibiotic stewardship. Yeah. Really cool things. To see a demo of this, go to precision.com slash KKH. That's precision spelled with an X instead of an E. So dot com slash KKH. Hey, Kristen. Yeah. You know how much I love Grammarly. Not as much as I love Grammarly. I'm uh, pretty sure I love Grammarly a little bit more than you do. Those are fighting words. It's because I need it. I, I just, I need help with my writing. Well, that's true. You know, organizing, mm -hmm. generating outlines, mm -hmm. finding the right tone for things. Yes, that's a big one. Think of all the writing we have to do. Live so show. So much. Yes, the newsletter. It just emails. Lots of writing all the time. All the things. Mm -hmm. And now it's even better than ever, Grammarly. 
because you can use it everywhere. Yes, all the platforms. Absolutely. Google Docs, Slack, Canva even. Mm -hmm. Social media. Instagram captions. Yes, perfect. I always need help with Instagram captions. Well, Grammarly is there. It's always there to help. It's great. In fact, 93% of professionals using Grammarly Premium report that it helps them get more work done. I would agree with that. I think I'm in that 93%. Get AI writing support that works where you work. Sign up and download for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow, what a force she yes. is. Definitely. I love it. I I, I love the, it's such a fresh perspective of, from someone who doesn't take the money from lobbyists. Right. Just the fact that there are still people. Like, why can't everybody, why can't it be like that? It shouldn't be that surprising. I know, exactly. Right. Well, I told you why. (laughs) Can that just be a rule? Like, you go, you go to Congress, you're not allowed to take, no one's allowed to lobby ever. I would love that. that? No, zero, zero lobbyists. How about that? Well, you know, it would still happen. It would just be under the table. Easy but, for me to say yeah. as an internet comedian, ophthalmologist, podcaster, <laughs> but you know, I can have all the wishes I want, but you know, it's yeah, not what reality. Is that if wishes were, I don't know what the thing is. I don't I know either. What you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> but it was as super cool to, to just hear her perspective. Yeah. And uh, we agree on a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. We, you know? we do personally with her, but also I just, I love that there are, I mean, I can think of a, a few other examples too, but there are these particularly women in Congress who are just these straight shooters and are willing to say it like it is. And I, that is refreshing to me, you know, because everything is always so, like she said, it's, it's always so obfuscated. Right. So people that can just spell it out so clearly, I think is desperately needed. And, and that's kind of what you do in your comedy too. Yeah, if, I mean, if there's one one if there's one place that we need clarity, it's with healthcare issues. Yeah, it's right. So there's confusing it's enough and it's purposely enough. so. And so, yeah, um, you know, break out those dry erase boards and right. get to work. All right. Um, well, let's take a look at a medical story, should we? All right. All right. Here we go. So we have a fan story from Sandy. Sandy says, "I am a nurse and specialize in maternal child health." During clinicals, when I was in nursing school, I was assigned to the PACU at a military hospital for one shift. What's PACU again? The PACU is post-anesthesia care unit. Yeah. So right after you got done with the surgery, they put you in the PACU. You go wake up. You go wake up there and you thrash about. I was... (laughs) About bread. I think I I thrashed about. I was settling post-op patients and monitoring vitals nearby when a young officer called me over to his bedside. In recovery for an appendectomy and still groggy from anesthesia, he motioned to me towards his crotch under the sheets and mumbled, something feels warm down there. I gently moved the sheets aside and realized he was hemorrhaging from his urethra. That is not where I thought that was going to go. I alerted his his nurse 
as well as the attending, who both came to assess the situation, it was decided that controlling the bleeding was the biggest concern and that the student nurse should be tasked with applying pressure to the bleeding phallus. Poor students. They always get the worst jobs. <laughs> they determined that his urethra was lacerated during removal of the catheter. Oh, my gosh. And the urologist was called down to emergently place a catheter as a tamponade. In the meantime, I was left making small talk while firmly grasping a stranger's penis in my hand. <laughs> well, if I had a nickel. <laughs> the situations you find yourself in medicine. Oh, my goodness. But I love every time we get a story like that. And we haven't really had a story like that. But, you know, a, a, occasionally you get a some... embarrassing situation mm-hmm. story. I'm always impressed. By just how professional everyone is. It's right? true. I mean, what are you? What are you gonna what do? What you gonna do? You gotta be. You gotta keep it professional, and then maybe down the road you can have a laugh about it. But right in the right. moment, you just gotta get the job done. At that catheter part, though. Oh my goodness! I do you have any out. medical stories about holding penises? Uh, you can send <laughs> us those or any other story you might have. Not, you not need to high. be careful what you ask for. We're gonna get all no. sorts of strange. Oh boy. Sorry, Shanti. Knock, knock high at human-content.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Kristen. What's up? Name something that's like crusty and flaky. Mm, a delicious croissant. I appreciate your optimism. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I was thinking? What? Demodex blepharitis. That is not as delicious. <laughs> Do you know what these little guys are? What? These are Demodex mites. Yeah. That's not They're cute, fun. though, aren't they? Those ones They're are cute. cute. If you have red, itchy, irritated eyelids, you might be surprised to find out that it's a disease called demodex blepharitis mm. caused by these little guys, demodex mites. Do you ever see those in your clinic? Yeah, occasionally. It's not It's not uncommon. Are they that cute when you see them under the microscope? Not quite. Mm. All right, but That's you can make bad. an appointment with your eye doctor and get an eyelid exam where they can help you know for sure if what you're suffering from is demodex blepharitis. To find out more, go to eyelidcheck.com. Again, that's E-Y-E-L-I-D-Check.com to get more information about Demodex blepharitis and these little guys, Demodex mites. All right, let us know what you thought of the episode today, of of the story, or uh, what uh, um, uh, Congresswoman uh, Katie Porter had to say. Uh, We'd love to hear your thoughts about health care. Let's hear it. Uh, We're open to all your ideas. Uh, and uh, also let us know if you have any guests we should invite on. Yeah, well, it's a big, complex topic. for suggestions. So. Lots of ways to hit us up. Again, you can email us, knockknockhigh at human-content.com. Uh, we also have social media network. We have social media. We have social media networks. We have lots of networks. We don't have a social media <laughs> network, to we be clear. Should. The Glock and Plug The Glock and Plug and Network. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know how to make that happen. Uh, we'll get our producers on it. Uh, you can hang out with us and our human content podcast family on Instagram and TikTok at human content pods. Thanks to all the great listeners leaving feedback and awesome reviews. We love that. If you subscribe and comment on your favorite podcasting app or on YouTube, we can give you a shout out like today at Laura Garber 9544 on YouTube says one of your best yet. I learned so much 
That was in regard to the palliative care episode. Oh, with, probably with Dr. Jared Rubenstein. Yeah, that was that was a fascinating episode. I have heard a lot of that kind of feedback to yeah, that episode. Yeah, people really yeah. liked hearing about that. Which I like because I think there is a lot to learn about palliative care and it can be useful to lots of people. So let's keep learning. Absolutely. Uh, full episodes of this podcast are up on my YouTube channel. Those are video episodes. You can see our faces when we're talking if, if, if you want. <laughs> if you want. Uh, at D Glock and Flecken. We also have a Patreon. Lots of cool perks, bonus episodes where we react to medical shows and movies. Uh, you can hang out with us, uh, the other members of the Knock Knock High community. Uh, we're, we're active in it. We just got to watch a couple shows the other day. That was oh, super yeah. fun. We watched a, those soon. a little clip from The Office. Yes. We reacted oh, to that. Such a good show. It's great. Early ad-free episode access on the with the Patreon. Uh, interactive Q&A live stream events. And much more. Maybe we'll have an election in our Patreon group. <laughs> well, you are always saying how it's a little town in maybe, there. So we do need some absolutely. elected officials, I suppose. Uh, maybe you and I can go head-to-head as oh, CEO well, of Patreon That's not going to be any kind of race. Patreon.com slash Glockenflecken <laughs> or go to Glockenflecken.com. Speaking of Patreon community perks, new member shout out to Michelle C. Thanks, Michelle. Thanks for joining us. Shout out to all the Jonathans, as always. We have Patrick, Lucia C, Sharon S, Omar, Edward K, Stephen G, Jonathan F, Marion W, Mr. Granddaddy, Caitlin C, Brianna L, Leah D, K, L, Rachel L, Keith G, JJ H, Derek N, Mary H, Susanna F, Mohammed K, Aviga, Parker, Ryan, Medical Meg, Bubbly Salt, and Pink. Macho. Patreon roulette. Random shout out to someone on the emergency medicine tier. We have ENP. ENP, thank you for being a patron. Mm -hmm. And thank you all for listening. We are your hosts, Will and Kristen Flannery, also known as the Glock and Flaggins. Special thanks to our guest, U.S. Senate candidate and Congresswoman Katie Porter. Our executive producers are Will Flannery, Kristen Flannery, Aaron Corny, Rob Goldman, and Shanti Brooke. Our editor and engineers, Jason Portiz. Our music is by Omer Benzvi. I think this is the best outro I've ever done. Mm. Well, I'm glad you think so. To learn about our Knock Knock Highs program, disclaimer, ethics, policies, mission, verification, licensing, terms, and HIPAA release terms, go to glockandplugin.com or reach out to us, knockknockhighathuman-content.com with any questions, concerns, or fun medical puns. I'm trying to like really get people going here in the, in yeah. the outro. It's, you know, like, I'm ready to, through to the end. you've heard the episode, you're ready to just take the day by the, you know what, If anyone's listening on two times, you know, how you can speed oh, it man, up, then you probably fast. are like an auctioneer or Ooh, something. yeah. Knock Knock High is a human content production. Knock Knock, goodbye. Hey, Kristen. What? You know what people ask me about? How tall you are. Uh, no, sometimes. But no, they ask me about Jonathan. Mm, yes, I have heard people ask Everybody you about that. Everybody wants a Jonathan. They like, do. is Jonathan real? Can I have your Jonathan? I'm like, no, you can't have my Jonathan. But you know what they can have? What's that? Dax co-pilot. Ah, yes. yes. And that is basically a Jonathan. It, it is. like having a little Jonathan there. It's yeah. it's a, a, an, an AI-powered ambient technology. It sits in the room with you. And it, it helps uh, create that clinical documentation. Right. While also allowing you to create a patient-physician relationship that we all got into medicine to, to have. We all want that. That's right. Nobody got in to start writing notes. That's right. And it is right now, everyone feels overwhelmed and burdened by all this clinical documentation uh, to where work-life balance, it just seems unattainable. Right. So to learn more about the Nuance Dragon Ambient Experience or DAX Copilot, visit nuance.com slash discover DAX. That's N-U-A-N-C-E dot com slash discover D-A-X.